1: We're heading to northeastern Marlborough with Cosmo Kentish Barnes. He's with Hazley Macdonald from Te pa
0: Wines. We're down here at the the Pa. o uh, Some will call it the Wai-O-Bar, and where we are today is sitting outside the original White o School, uh, where my father went uh, as a young kid, and it closed down. Look, I can't remember when it closed down, but it closed down some time ago, and it remains our marae and our, I guess our community hub for this area and for those families that are from here.
1: Yes, and you were saying just before that you used to have a lot of family members that lived down this road.
0: Yeah, this, this whole road was just once full of all my extended family uh, and my close family. Right next door to where we are was where my grandfather lived and farmed all this area, and that's where he brought up his 21 children. Uh, right here and so you know they were all lived and breathed the Wairau Pa and yeah you know, this is where we are and where we farm today.
1: And your ancestors actually landed their walker not too far from here.
0: Yeah right at the Wairau Bar there. Um, they landed there you know over 800 years ago and walked up the beach and walked into paradise so yeah, it's a pretty special place. Mm. Now we're looking at some
1: farmland in front of us. Uh, what is the soil like here? So where we are now
0: is uh, the soil is very rich, silty loamy soils, and you know, as a kid growing up, we used to plant you know multiple acres of, of potatoes and and uh, cereal crops and vegetable crops, corn and peas, and we could grow them without the assistance of irrigation. It was all naturally done, uh, as well as. We, we never used fertilisers growing up. The soil's so so good here, and out there today is uh, we're making a bit of hay today. So we're still you know got our traditional farming practices going, uh, raising beef and and making hay and and various other crops that we still put in alongside our vineyard operation. Yeah, we can see
1: the vineyards beyond the paddocks, and beyond them are the bush-clad mountains.
0: Yeah, well, that's, uh, I guess, looking north to the Richmond Ranges, so very lush bush over there, bit of forestry. But, you know, on, on the valley floor here, 20 years ago, that was just all farmland. And as time's gone on in the wine industry, as people found out, these were the better soils to be in uh, for Sauvignon Blanc. And now, as you can see, the big green carpet is, is spreading across the plains. So it there's, is. there's very little land in Marlborough that's not got vines in it. Mm. What was your childhood like here? At the time, you know, like every kid, I guess, you know, you thought you had the hardest childhood. But when we look back now, we had the best childhood. And um, we had all our cousins up and down this road. We worked every day after school on the farm. If it was digging potatoes, you know, dairy, beef, there was always a job. And um, at that time, you know, we didn't, we we was thought we were. uh, our hands were tied behind our backs, but, you know, I think we realised that it was it was the making of a lot of us. Mm. Yeah. So your
1: folks had a dairy farm, and then did they switch to growing
0: potatoes? Uh, so my, my grandfather, um, you know, he did a mixture of dairy farming and growing potatoes. And then my father and uh, his brothers sort of slowly took over the business back in the 70s, I guess. And they were growing potatoes for the local co-op at the time. Uh, My father married my mum and her family owned a few supermarkets in town. And so my dad was one of the ones that sort of broke the mould and started selling direct into supermarkets instead of going through the co-op. And we made anywhere from three kilo bags to 20 kilo bags. But then my dad and his brother, 100 metres from us here, converted an old dairy shed. That was my grandfather's dairy shed and that's when they started to process the potatoes into French fries and then we started selling those French fries to local fish and chip shops here in town as well as restaurants and then that business just grew and grew and grew and where we were supplying fresh French fries as, as far as down as Christchurch and probably as far north as up to Topol. What were the French fries called? McDonald fries. It was a really good business. They sold it because I think they just had had enough of that that side of the business so we sold the business but we kept uh, we didn't sell the the land. You kept the land. We kept the land and you know it was back to traditional farming so we went back into dairy then Uh, we started out milking another 250 cows but that wasn't good enough you know there was two families to feed at that stage and, and so we took the numbers the following year I think it was up to 600 and then the following year up to 800 and so we were milking 800 odd cows in the sort of late 90s
1: mm. and then you went overseas
0: yeah went away to the oh. usa and you know went over there for a six month working holiday ended up staying a, a lot longer and
1: what were you doing over there
0: went over and i was driving trucks interstate did that for a bit of a a way to, to see the the country and and uh, really enjoyed it and so i came home in uh, the end of 2002 uh, my dad wanted us home to Come back onto the farm and to be fair I didn't want to be a dairy farmer for the rest of my life and we agreed to put a few vineyards in and uh, 2003 we planted our very first vineyards uh, we put about 150 acres in and then the following year we stuck another 150 acres in and then the following year after that we put about another 100 acres in but everyone used to say you couldn't grow vineyards east of the railway line state highway one um what everyone sort of learned is that that's become the most sought-after land for vineyards that everyone wants today. So,
1: Did you know much about grapes or vineyards when you first started planting? Nothing. Nothing.
0: We were fortunate enough to work with some really good people in the early parts who gave us a lot of guidance and and we still made mistakes with that. I think what we learnt was we went back to the basics on how to grow our crops. We, we learnt... That you do need a bit of water with them because we, we didn't have irrigation, and we learnt that it's all about timing on how to interfere. If you see something in the vineyard, you, you normally, if you if you react, then you're going to have more of a problem. But if you're proactive around what you're doing, then then you you don't see no issues throughout the growing season. So, we were probably growing for five or six different wineries then. So you were selling the grapes. Selling the grapes only. Uh, at the same time, I built quite a large contracting business alongside of that in our four vineyards so we learned how to build our own vineyards we built all our own and then we were out building other people's vineyards and we were harvesting all over Marlborough.
1: Well um, let's head on down the road to your home vineyard and check out the grapes. Let's do it. We are driving past lots of your vines now. What's growing in this vineyard here?
0: These ones right here is our very first plantings. And so uh, all Sauvignon Blanc.
1: So many years ago, you were sticking those posts in the ground, fixing those wires up, planting the grapes.
0: Yep, we did the lot. Uh, Irrigation in the ground, so I know where everything is down here. Yep, Every pot, every post. Done it all, yep. Myself and my father and my brother and yeah, family, it was what we did.
1: Well let's um, stop here, we've come to the yard and go and have a look at these vines here that um, are probably what, three, three or four weeks off
0: being harvested? Yep, yep. They're, uh, I'd say uh, this block is going for uh, low alcohol wines that we will make this year for customers in the UK, so probably harvest around the, the 16th of March.
1: You've got quite a few buildings here, and in particular, one huge shed is that where you maintain all
0: the gear. It houses all our machinery. We've got a few harvesters in there and sprayers and a couple of mechanics are always, uh, you know, fixing gear. And yeah. So yeah, it's really important, and we're surrounded by the original sheds here. The one behind us uh, over here used to be our shearing shed growing up, and now it, we've put it into a smoko shed lunch room for the for the guys and that uh, building next to the grain silos in the early days was my office. Now the rows here are about two metres high
1: and between the vines here is a healthy bed of cover crops.
0: Yeah, right now we plant alternative species in there, you know peas, beans, oats, clovers, mm. just the one that helps free up the soil and two, it helps invigorate root growth for the vines and so we've noticed massive changes by doing that. We don't have the beautiful bowling green vineyards that we used to have where it was just all grass, we've gone away from that. We've found that that's not very good for vineyards and so now with the peas, beans, oats, we let them get high, we crimp roll it down and then we mulch it back into the soil. You've got to be able to give, give back to the vineyard so that vines will give back to you, so works well. And the roots are looking old and gnarly. Yeah, well these vines are just over 20 years old now, 20, 21 years old. You know, the life expectancy of, of Sauvignon vines is probably somewhere between 25 and 30 years. Oh. Uh, we're starting to see quite a bit of replanting going on in Melbourne now, given that there's some age on vines and, you know, that they do not crop as much as they get older. They start to get a little bit of disease pressure or trunk disease, and so... I think what people are sort of finding out is that it's best to replant. Um, We pull all this out, we will do it at some stage and hopefully that'll be the kids' problem to deal with, not mine. So uh, they're still a bit young but um, time they sort of get ready and if they come in, they'll be doing the replanting. Hopefully the paying too. (laughs) (laughs) How many kids have you got? Five kids, yeah. Three girls, two boys.
1: Are they interested in what you're doing here with the vineyard and on the farm?
0: Yeah, 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 certainly interested, but Julie and I, we push them to get their education, so we've got my oldest now is at university, and the rest are still coming through school, and my oldest son, he's certainly taken an interest in the vineyards and and really loves it, and he's had to go back to school, and he he wants to be out here, but uh, (laughs) understands he needs to get an education, this is a, you know, it's a different business now, and hopefully they come in, and and take over one day and take this business to a different level than what than what we've achieved. And I, I sort of went to school to eat lunch and annoy a few teachers, so I didn't last too long. So uh, hopefully those kids will do a bit better than what I did. How would you describe some of the wines that you produce
1: here? What makes your wines special?
0: I think um, what is good here is you get those really big thial flavours coming through and the lower YRL and they're what the customer is after. I wouldn't say we're any more special than everyone else, but I think that the benefits of down here is that we have virtually zero frost risk. We have really good water source here. There's big aquifers under us. I mean, the whole valley comes towards us. Uh, As you look west, the elevation is really high, Mm. and so if you can imagine all the water from way up in the lakes down underneath the ground. It all comes to us. What goes past us goes to sea. And, you know, we're very lucky to be, to be here. Where does the Tepa name come from? That's a good question. So when I first was thinking about doing my own brand and sitting around as a family trying to come up with names and we had all sorts <laughs> of names and it just sort of clicked and went, well, let's name it after home. This area is known as the Pa. And so we we are down the par. Uh, I mean te in and Maori language is da, so it's named after home, Tapa And so there's a, a Google image on the label, that sort of outlines the, the different areas of the par. You'll see there's a uh, in the background of that label there's like a black line that faintly runs through that's represent the river that's just over here, which is the the O River, which is the yeah. lifeline of Marlborough and then on the front you'll see it looks like a fish hook and it has a you know a dual meaning it looks like the figure eight for the 800 years of our family being here but also because we're next to the the sea fishing seafood is a big yes. part of our daily diet and so it's the represent that it was actually really simple at the end of the day yeah.
1: and you are also one of the founding members of the tuku maori winemakers collective um, tell me about that
0: Yeah, well, I guess in in this industry here, there's very few Māori owners, Māori winemakers, and, and so that was a collective where a few of us got together and said, you know, we need to tell a story of who we are, what we do, and, you know, Māori in general have a sense of we like to do things together, and we do things probably slightly different and And we do that with food, and and so those commonalities are really good. They're good to bounce ideas off, and we just share things that we do in the vineyards, as well as our our brand stories, our our culture. And so that's sort of how we got born. There's there's many winemaking collectives here, but this is a Māori version, and it's to showcase not only to our peers, but uh, to the world that we're here, Indigenous art. are in with everyone else and yeah come and come and experience it
1: mm-hmm. now um shall we head down to the river mouth where your ancestors first landed
0: yeah yeah so we refer to that as Tupukihīwi and that's uh you know where the first migration of our people arrived and yeah we can go there now and uh, show you what's what's there
1: Is your family still involved in, in the vineyard?
0: Just recently my mum and dad have moved out, uh, they've finally retired and we've, we've taken over the whole lot. Uh, my brother that was with me, he moved into Australia twelve odd years ago and and I have two sisters that are still here but mm. not involved in the business. Why have we stopped here, hazeley? Ah, well, this is to just just to show that, you know where the river runs out to sea, being the O Bar. Uh, but it's also significant to us uh, as Maori and as as local Maori here. Uh, this is the land I spoke about before. What we call Pukahewi. so the first landing of Maori to arrive here uh, in the O came here into what we call now Cloudy Bay up onto the beach and lived here. So, uh, you know, that was a a very big par site over there. Also, uh, in the latter years, my last name's MacDonald, Francis MacDonald, that uh, came here uh, on these shores. um, There used to be quite a community, and so he built, uh, there used to be a pub uh, right here on the bar. And so he he had that until a big flood came in one day and washed it away. Is that a... Protected site. Yes, it is. It is under protection uh, at the moment. It's under the Department of Conservation, and we are trying to get that back as an iwi under our control to look after it better than what's been currently going on. Mm. So that that's a bit of an uphill battle for us at the moment with the department. But uh, hopefully, one day, they will see the lights and and uh, that'll come back to uh, the original owners. What a spectacular spot here Yeah it is it's uh, as you can see you know people are fishing here they'll be catching carwa and, and, and rig fish and, and whatever else jumps on the hook and, and it's you know it's quite a, a lovely area. I mean we've grown up fishing here white baiting and you know a big part of the community come down here to, to get a feed of fish.
1: There are some people searching for shellfish as well because it's uh, low tide. And this really is the point where your ancestors came down into the river from the sea.
0: It is. I mean, if you can imagine them arriving here all those years ago, and and what a what a place to to arrive to. I mean, the, the, all the bounties of the sea, um, the harbour, cockles and scallops and everything used to be in here, and some of it still is. Uh, to the the massive Waido lagoon in the back there, where they had untold amounts of. Uh, Bird life and they used to hunt mower just over here, run them down off the hills and down this boulder bank and you know sort of those mowers years ago also had you know the Harst eagle here, the biggest eagle in the world. Uh, through some of the digs that were done over the other side there we found the remains in a big hangi pit of the Harst eagle which uh, you know there's a replica in Te Papa museum as to how big those things really were. And also across there, there's an important archaeological site that contains a burial ground. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of our people were buried over there. You know, a few decades ago, some, uh, I don't know what you call them, scientists, bloody come explorers were looking for artefacts over there and it really upset our family and um, some, some promises were made not to go near the graves and unbeknown to us, they were in there and they took, A heap of them out of their out of their resting place and that was yeah pretty uh pretty bad and so they took them away they were they were sold off they were put into museums i guess some goods come out of it some dna testing was done on some of those bones and dna testing on on us that are still living here today and it just shows how far back we go and how we're related to this area and where we've come from through the pacific so there's some good things come out of it but you know those that were ahead of my time fought for the return of those remains, those, those of our people to be brought back here. In uh, 2010, we repatriated 55 of them that Canary Museum had in storage and reburied them as close as we can to where they were taken from, given the information that we had. And so that was really, really good. But you know, some of these museums have still got a lot of our people that they are not releasing yet. It's an ongoing battle. It's an ongoing battle and, and uh, one day they'll do the right thing and return those people to us to, to be put back in their rightful place. Hayes Lee MacDonald from Te pa Wines, talking to Cosmo at the Wairo Bar
1: or Te Poko Hiwi o in Marlborough.